start with demystifying spirituality mm-hmm. um and i know jody i'm sure that you have a lot to say about this because i know that you talk about practical spirituality a lot i know that's something that we talked about in episode one as well so we kind of opened this entire show on the premise of practical spirituality which i think is pretty cool because this is something that i feel like needs to be prolonged in the conversation right. <laughs> it, it needs to be timeless um, so whenever you're talking about practical spirituality, Jody, it reminds me of, um, how in Muscogee culture specifically, but I know in a lot of other ancient cultures, um, and indigenous cultures, and when I say indigenous cultures, I mean, like, everyone is indigenous. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like cultures and peoples who, uh, are very connected to their land and uh, their ancestry, not just, um, you know, indigenous people here in America, but um, spirituality was never separate from their everyday life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like, uh, I feel like I have no words. <laughs> Why is it so hard? Um, spirituality was never separate from their everyday lives. And so everything that they did was imbued with spiritual practice. I mean, from the cultivation of their land and their produce to hunting, gathering, um, the way that they cared for themselves, their hygiene, like their very physical (laughs) atomic hygiene. Yes. (laughs) Um, literally everything that they did, all their stories, all their prayers, their dances, um, everything was spiritual. And I think uh, what we encounter today is that modern life, in modern life, we compartmentalize everything. So we'll have like a spiritual practice. Uh, We may go to church or we may meditate in the morning or we may do yoga in the morning. But Mm -hmm. then when we're not doing that, we are completely incongruent with that. Mm-hmm. And we go out and we live completely differently. We carry on about our days completely differently. Um, and this is something that we talk about in yoga too, like living your life the same as you do on the mat, like being the same, being congruent on and off the mat. But I think it's, um, I think we could really, I don't know, I guess maybe take some notes um, as far as like how indigenous people um live their lives every single day. And I used to call it making the mundane miraculous. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do needs to be spiritual. Like our life is our spiritual practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. that we do throughout the day should be imbued with our spiritual practice and not just, you know, the allotted 30 minutes in the morning and in the evening right. <laughs> where we, you know, meditate or pray or 
do yoga or go to church or whatever we do, you know, um, and then, you know, forget about it later. Yeah, it's making me think a few things. Um, I've forgotten about this, but years ago, I read a book um, written by a monk named Brother Lawrence. And I've talked about this before, I think maybe in our Christ of Priesthood course. Um, anyway, his entire book was written all about his journey and his experience of what he called practicing the presence of God. In mm. every single thing that he did, he would call God into the space, whether he was sweeping the floors or washing the dishes. And his whole writing was just all about his journey with what it meant for him to practice God's presence there in everything that he did in even the most mundane things. And at the time that I read the book, I mean, it was like, it felt so arduous to me. I was like, oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> I gotta be so aware. That's why it felt tiring is because you have to bring such focused awareness. Mm -hmm. You really can't do anything on autopilot. You know, um, I think that's what you're saying is like, your indigenous culture and the people in the culture that you come from practiced something that kept them rooted and it kept them grounded. When you were describing it, it was making me think of them literally holding ceremony for every aspect of their life. Yeah. And it, and was, it requires embodiment too. It does. Like everything that they're doing. And the thing is, is that, you know, getting back into your body and bringing that awareness there to the body and then moving from that place, what we're talking about could sound like a gigantic task if you're used to running on autopilot, if you're used to being in the loop, you know, and just looping through your everyday tasks and all that stuff. But making, you know, the miraculous be something that's practical happens when we come back and bring our awareness to this moment right now. Mm -hmm. And then the things that we've called miracles actually are part of the energetic frequency that's available to us in our present state. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the sense of our awareness, bringing our consciousness to what's going on in our life. Mm -hmm. It's shifted for us because like I said this before in a previous episode, we've been preparing our food and like being really mindful of the food we eat and making sure that what we're getting is like very nutrient dense and, you know, from the grocery shopping to the cooking at home. And it takes a lot of energy because we weren't used to living like that before. Mm -hmm. But because we've been doing it, it's also bringing this awareness and consciousness to our food and to our bodies. And I feel like even just that little shift is like bringing God into the process because it's not this big complicated thing to bring God into your process. Right. I think we bring God into our process the moment we choose to wake up. And be aware. Well, I think that we bring God into the process the moment we bring ourselves into the process. Yes. Because like you're saying, if we're on autopilot, then we're not really present in what we're doing. We're not embodied in what we're doing. And you said something a moment ago that um, made me think of all this other stuff that we've been talking about before we hit record. But um, you said it requires focused attention. And it's making me think of the difference between focused attention and being like not present or scatterbrained or thinking about a million different things or, or what people even call multitasking. Yeah. Which is a lot. Right. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I'd have to find it again, but I saw a, I saw a post that a neuroscientist shared and he was talking about the fallacy of multitasking. And he was saying that it actually lowers your, um, 
IQ and your intelligence quotient because you are preventing yourself from having focused attention. And this is a whole conversation around focused attention because uh, just like we were talking about the other day, focused attention, Bo, you said this, um, is centripetal. Mm -hmm. So that means that um, being scatterbrained or not being present is centrifugal. And centrifugal is uh, vision. Yeah, it's fractionated. It's fractionated, exactly. Mm -hmm. And focused attention is fusion or uh, what was what was the word that we said was consolidating, mm -hmm. consolidating or absorptive, mm -hmm. like uh, bringing it all in. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that is calling all aspects of your consciousness back to embody. Yeah. Focusing your attention is embodiment. Gosh, so major. I'm just thinking about, okay, so we'll share this with you guys or I will. So last night we were all sitting around the kitchen here with Danica and we had about 15 things going on at the same time. I was starting a podcast, listening to a podcast. Bo was sitting on his laptop doing, creating something. Danica was on her laptop creating something. And we had all these different things happening, talking over each other. And I'm sitting and I was like, okay, I'm going to move to another corner. And then I moved to the other corner. And then Bo comes over and sits next to me. And he's like asking me about this. And I'm listening to this podcast. And then Danica starts talking to Bo. She comes over and sits down. And I sat there like in a really quick second. I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> there are 15 things happening in space all at once. And it was hilarious because we don't, we don't interact like that at all. Um, but there was this moment where there was like this energetic rush and then all of these things started happening at the same time. And you saying that about uh, multitasking, I used to say stupid things like, I'm a great multitasker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> I was so out of my body, obviously, thinking I was like being, you know, able to be in five places at once and all that kind of crazy stuff. But Man, last night was really one of those things that really like proved it to me again. Is like, no, you just need your attention in one space because it actually really messes with my nervous system. I notice whenever I have multiple things, I have never paid attention to it as intently as I paid attention to it last night. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting so agitated over little <laughs> things, but it's because I feel like my, my sensory mm -hmm. things are just so like being plugged into and like everything's happening and it was really cool stuff. All of it was good but I couldn't give my attention to any one thing and it was totally freaking my body up. Mm -hmm. And I've never paid attention to it like that. Like I did last night. I even said something to Bo about it later. I was like, man, I just realized I was like all over the place. Cause my nervous system was going, what the hell are you doing? There's 15 things happening, you know? Yeah, anyway, this is the first time I've ever heard you say anything like this before. <laughs> because I'll always try to do so many things at once and it doesn't work. Yeah. But I, I'm saying it for a good reason, because the point is, is that the only way we could ever think that we're actually skilled at doing more than one thing at a time is literally we are just not embodied because being in our body requires that kind of conscious focus. Mm -hmm. And the conscious focus is where the miraculous happens. Right. You know, people want to go and have an experience with a healer. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people are like, I just want to go do ayahuasca or I want to go do a shamanic journey, or I want to go to a sweat lodge, or I want to go wherever, because they're looking for a place to go where they can escape, 
course, the trauma, like we've talked about, right? All the things in their life that are, that are constantly frying their nervous system and keeping them um, hypervigilant, hyperactive, hyperaroused, whatever. And so they'll go away and they'll go do something extreme to try to pull them back into this place of like, this is where God is, you know? And I get it. I, I don't have anything negative to say about it. I have never done those things, but I've done other things to try to find where God is and get quiet and get still. And the reason they go to those places is because they can remove themselves from all of their distractions, they think, and then be pulled into a place where it's like, this is supernatural or whatever. And so talking about bringing God into everyday life and talking about bringing your focus into everything you do on a daily basis can sound like insanity to someone who's just wanting to escape because they haven't done any healing on the parts of them that are screaming for attention, you know, and it's just that conscious awareness, that conscious focus that helps us start to demystify the things we call spiritual. And this is multifaceted mm-hmm. and multilayered. There's so many things we could say about this mm-hmm. and I'm sure we will. Yeah. It's making me think about, um, actually doing school with Gran because for those who don't know, I helped my Gran recover with her speech from a stroke. And I'm not a professional, but I do do well, I have to say. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first started working with her, every morning I would ask God to come into the space and to help her in whatever way she needed that day to simplify what I was teaching or to heal her and her understanding, anything that could make it easier for her and click with her in whatever way. And I admittedly have stopped doing that. But I realize now that you're talking about it, how her progress was so insane when I first started with her. I mean, it's still going, but I just realized now, like, she has improved so much in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And just her patience and, like, how she learned so fast, I feel like was affected by that. Because now that I haven't done it in a while... Any little thing that um, she doesn't get, she gets so frustrated and it like takes me off mm-hmm. and I have to like recenter myself. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. just making me think about whenever I would do that, how clear everything was and how easy it was. And it's just making me think about how I can do that more. Yeah. I think this is really a conversation about embodiment and intention, like at its core, because. I've even noticed in my sessions recently that when I'm talking about embodiment or when I'm trying to guide someone through an embodiment practice to get them back into their body, it's almost like, and I'm not saying that everyone has responded this way, but several people have seemingly been more disinterested in being embodied than they were (laughs) with previous types of session work that I did. That was a little bit more fun, you know, Um, or entertaining or magical or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. That I guess maybe provided them an outlet for escape. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had to have a conversation recently with somebody and I was like, I know it's annoying. I know it sucks. (laughs) But there's nothing else to do until you can get back into your body. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. You have to get back in your body. This is is it. This is the foundation of everything. We can't move forward until you learn how to get comfortable in your body. And it is so uncomfortable, I I will admit, because 
Um, I mean, until probably the last year and a half, I know I wasn't in my body. And I mean, I'm not, it wasn't like every day, but there were moments where I knew how disembodied I was because I would come to myself in moments and be like, oh my God, that was so out of my body. Like what just Mm -hmm. happened? You know, we've all had those moments and Mm -hmm. usually it's the moments we call autopilot or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're just like the way, like we drive our car and we get home and we're going, did I even turn? Did I even do this? It's like, those are moments where we know we're totally out of our bodies. Thank God our subconscious mind can drive for us, you know, or we'd be screwed. But it happens so easily. It happens so fast. And that's why that focused attention is, um, it has to be conscious. It has to be aware in terms of even practicing, bringing our conscious attention and awareness and focus to every moment of our lives. And of course, over time, it would get easier and easier, but this is new ground, I think, for all of us. I think we would all say, like, no, it's new ground for me um, to be in a focused space, an embodied space where I know what's happening every moment, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the average person and how disembodied they are and how many people drive cars. And I'm just, like, so freaked out right now. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. you. Yeah. And I'm thinking about <laughs> the moments where I become the most disembodied. And I think... I'm getting better at it, but in the past, it would be like the way that I would respond to people, even in conversation. And I'm that type of person that will (laughs) be haunted (laughs) in perpetuity for all eternity uh, over the things that I have said that were maybe awkward, or maybe I said them in a way that I didn't mean to. And, (laughs) and I'm getting better at it now, pausing and being more present when I'm in conversation with people or even responding to people. And I'm finding that I'm haunted by my actions less and less. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's a really easy telltale. Um, of, of, this is just a little side note. We're just pulling over on the side of the road. Just giving you a little scoop here, but um, <laughs> about like focused, you know, attention and consciousness, being disembodied. Um, if you're ever in a space with a group of people and everyone's talking over each other in a conversation, you're literally sitting in the middle of a bunch of disembodied people. <laughs> people are like, oh, they just don't have good communication skills. They're not in their body. Nobody is in the present moment in that space. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a family that I'm not kidding you. There are times when we get together and everyone, <laughs> someone's telling a story and someone's like, yeah, and you remember, and no one ever says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I interrupted you because they don't even know they did it. <laughs> and it starts to get chaotic in the space. And that's just one way, but it's one way I've noticed um, over and over again when you're in a space and like you notice people don't let the other person finish their sentence. They have to jump in and give their thought or their response. You know, it's like what you're saying, like mm-hmm. taking that moment to just like pause in the moment right now what is actually being said i do it listen there are times when we're talking all of us and my mind is like the off on this little thing that i'm like i want to respond right now but i don't know what just got said in the last two minutes and if i make this response they could be like yeah jody we just said that right. you know because i'm just not here so um that's why so many times i'm just like Okay, wait, wait, what did you just say? Or <laughs> can you repeat that? Or I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Or <laughs> it's like disembodiment is at the root of the dysfunction. And all of this, well, in that same sense, embodiment would be at the root of function, mm-hmm. functionality. 
Yeah. And then at the beginning of this conversation, there's something that's sticking with me too, because uh, at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about making everything. Um, I'll let me look back. We were talking about demystifying spirituality and everyday life being spiritual. I had to reference the notes because this, uh, for me, used to be phrased like you make everything sacred. That was isn't like the same thing. I was in a community that I've spoken about before that was um, turned out to not be the best thing. But at the time that I was there, especially right whenever I got there, I didn't know what sacred meant to me. And they would always say, make it sacred, make it sacred, you know, whatever you do, just make it sacred. And it was really to emphasize how much of a rush everyone was in. They'd say, slow down, make it sacred. And um, <laughs> we took that way far because, you know, we would end up passing gas back and forth and being like, yes, that's a sacred release. <laughs> Starting out of your mouth. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> that's like that's like what we just said the other day about somebody adding the word divine to just basic words to make it sound like it's more important. Yeah, like, marketing. That's a divine release. Yes, <laughs> and you know, it's it's funny, but at the same time, I think that that's part of this whole thing too, because for something like a sacred release or for something like anything that our body does naturally or anything that happens naturally, um, according to its function, that would be God, basically that would be according to that design. So it's like even something as seemingly silly as the sacred release would be a recognition of the presence of God in our lives. Um, I know that I'm like giggling about this, but it is also the same thing. It doesn't have to be serious all the time, but mm -mm. I think that was something that I just recently talked about in a group was like, we were praying at the end of the group and I asked if anyone wanted to pray and they were like, no, nah, no, nah, but you got it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> next time one of y'all got it. But I was praying and it just like came through and I was like, God, help us literally see you in everything that we do. And there was a point whenever I like first got sober and I was like learning how to like be in my body or at the time I didn't call it being in my body. I called it feeling my feelings, um, feeling how I felt. And then I got really in my head about being in my body and really mm -hmm. in my head about what am I feeling, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like this microscope thing. And throughout the day, it was like my days were twice as long because I was with every single moment, but they were twice as exhausting because I felt like I was supposed to like find God in everything or like have God in every moment. And the more I really walk with it, it's like there's an ebb and a flow to seeing God. Like what you mentioned, Danica was like that 30 minute practice. It can totally start there. And still, even today we were, we were on the beach and I got really emotional because I just had to say out loud, I was had a moment to myself out with my feet in the water and I was just feeling God and I, I was like wanting to feel God. I was, and every time I feel like I want to feel God, it's usually because I haven't really been feeling that connected and it's like it comes and goes and then I'll have this profound experience where I do feel God and then I go to sleep and then I wake up and life is life and it's almost like if I don't come back to that place of like 
yes, I want to be really present with this, or I want to recognize these things that happen naturally as God in my life, or how can I see God in this? And it doesn't mean that I try to convince myself that everything that happens is God, but it's almost like, where is God in, even in this? And um, I don't know, it's, it's really evolved over time for me. And I think really more than anything, that whole sacred release thing was on my mind since the beginning of this conversation. I was just listening and couldn't really let that one go. <laughs> but you did, actually. It was sacred. <laughs> you had a sacred release just now. <laughs> yes, I've been having well, lots of sacred releases. Yeah, releases. I'm looking at these words, too, and I'm thinking about demystifying, and I'm thinking about demystifying the mysterious things that have been put out there. And, Danica, you and I talk about this a lot, about how all of this wording around, like, sacred mysteries and the mystery schools and all of this stuff has been promoted to draw people in to a space that feels like, ooh, where, what's there, you know? And people feeling um, this, like, sense of, um, what's the right word? It's like, it's, it's kind of arrogant, but it's like this sense of, like, importance in being a part of things that seem mysterious and you know, it's like, an ex- like a club, like yeah, exclusive, like it's, it's, like it's members exclusive. Only yeah, and it's just like oh, we have to stop doing that, you know, because it it's setting people again. It's like literally pushing them away from deeper relationship with God. They think they're going into a space where they're learning about dimensions and beings and color codes and this and that. They're even learning the true mysteries of the universe, you know. Right. <laughs> That's what the mystery that what the so-called mysteries were, were deep understandings of how things work and come together. It was science. It was science. <laughs> like magic, but real. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so we have to quit chasing the mystery because it's leading us into the ether and we are becoming so detached from ourselves through it that embodiment feels like you want me to do what now i'm sorry i've been over here talking to the arcturians and the lyrans and the syrians and the andromedans and i've been moving my body astrally back and forth between this dimension and the 56th dimension and so i don't know what you're talking about when you say get in my body you know i'm not human anyway or it scares the shit out of people whenever you talk about getting in their body and they can't even fathom it because they can't fathom anything that is of this earth. Right. Yeah, who would have thought that the true mystery schools would have to, to do with the classroom that you walk in and the first thing they teach you about is your nervous system and which minerals you need every day. <laughs> right. It's so like, funny. These are the sacred mysteries that have been <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny because when I started, uh, my first course that I ever hosted was, I called it the Ruby Grail Mystery School. Well, it's so funny because it's coming up right now and it's, and now I refer to it, obviously to you guys as the, the course formerly known as the Ruby Grail. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, because I mean, midway through that course, I had like a massive expansion because midway through the course was really when y'all came to stay with me and I was already going through like a whole process and then it felt like everything started to kind of like unravel 
And then now I'm on the other side of that entire expansion and I'm recognizing that everything that I taught in the course was right. I was just missing a puzzle piece <laughs> that I wasn't able to come to like I wasn't able to understand until literally last night. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because now I'm going to, I mean, I had been feeling this way for a while now, but I'm going to go back and revamp that course and obviously call it something else. Yeah. And but, yeah, I, I love that you called it expansion because it can easily be seen as like almost, well, it's a transformation, but it's like, yeah, it, it really is an expansion. And I think that that what you described happening with your teachings and your coursework is exactly what happened to me and Jody, which was like bringing things through. And I think we talked about this a few episodes back, but like, I think it was the first time we talked about the nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like a year or a year and a half ago or something. We were talking about things that we felt. We just thought we under, we understood why we felt them, but what we understood was different than what we understand now. So mm -hmm. it's like, we still feel those things. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Danica, like those things ended up fleshing out to be like spot on, but the reason for it all or the, the method to the madness is like more understandable. And I think what we're seeing, the more and more tangible, uh, the things that have been considered shrouded in mystery become how illuminated they become. It's almost like feeling that split between the people who were seeking spiritual truth for the mystery of it. Right. And it's like, I think we started saying this the more and more we saw about how the nervous system is really hand in hand or even one and the same with our spiritual experience. I think we were saying was like, this is going to create something in the spiritual community because it's as more and more information in our world comes forward, describing and proving and giving evidence and tangible examples of the things that have been quote unquote magical or mysterious or unexplainable. As they become explainable, it's almost like the people who reject it are the ones who were only in it for the mystery. Right. For the allure of the mystery. And you know what? In every mainstream religion, there's always that sect of people that have been called mystics of the same information. And they took the information and they went deeper and opened it up to the best of their ability to understand it at levels that most people were unwilling to understand it at. But the mystics of that time period were alchemists and right. what an mm -hmm. alchemist were chemists and physicists. Right. They <laughs> understood the inner workings of what we call universal principles and truths. And for us in, in spiritual groups and spiritual communities, for us to keep things so superficial and so, surface level when it comes to what we say we desire, which is relationship with God, it's really um, poor stewardship of our opportunity to know God deeply and to know ourselves at a very mm -hmm. deep level. And to know this world yes, at a very deep level. I think that this is um, the point that I was making when I said that those mystics of that time period were alchemists and alchemists or alchemy is what we know today as chemistry and physics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe with a little bit of like botany and like herbs and stuff thrown mm -hmm. in. But that's the thing. That's the point is like spirituality is not separate from the life that we live. 
And it doesn't need to be, and it shouldn't be. It's not something that we're not supposed to understand. Our life here, our whole existence here is spiritual. It's supposed to be spiritual. Right. So what you're saying, I think, or what I'm picking up on what you're saying is that if we treat our lives as separate, if we treat our human existence as separate from our spiritual existence, it is indicative of our very separation Yes. And compartmentalization of ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. It's proof <laughs> that we're disembodied. Right. Exactly. Wow. That makes sense. Wow. That's a cool way Yeah. And it's like these people that walk around and they're like, you know, they hate their human lives or they don't want to be here. Right. I get it. You know, I get it. But it's like <laughs> the very fact that we are here is like magic. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a miracle. And I don't know about you, but I almost find for myself that the more that I let myself be present in this space of being human and interacting this way, I feel less dread about the plight of humanity. Right. Me too. And I think Hmm. like, uh, I think it would help our individual plights if we could, and I know this is hard for some people, but if we could do more things that bring us joy, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like that brings the magic back into our experience and our existence. And that's it, right you know, there. like taking the time to, um, I know I have to do laundry and stuff like that too. You know, like laundry is never ending. I don't know. And that's magic. I don't know how it never ends. Dishes. But, <laughs> dishes, laundry, you know, like washing my car. I'm lucky to have a car. I'm lucky to have laundry to wash. I'm lucky to have dishes. But also taking the time to make music and, you know, do art and play with my dog and go for walks and mm-hmm. explore out in nature, feed my chickens, you know, things like that that really bring me happiness that imbues magic into our experience but it also brings me into the present because i'm happy to be there in the present yeah you know well it's like you're saying that it's giving me a visual like uh, i'm watching this scenario play out in my mind and i'm thinking you know people are constantly wanting to disconnect and dissociate Mm-hmm. from their human life, from the goings-on of their human life because they haven't dealt with so much of what's going on and maybe they're afraid to. Uh, maybe it's it's overwhelming. I totally understand that, especially if you're coming from a highly traumatized background. But what happens is we're trying to pull ourselves out and go find the magic and go find the miracle right. instead of what you said, which is so awesome. You were like bringing the magic into my space bringing the miracle here into my space right now and calling it into the space so that I don't have to feel traumatized in being in my body and Mm -hmm. being a human. And of course there's work to do around that. There's very practical work to do around that. I'm not discrediting that at all, but there is a change of our, um, our focus basically and going, I'm going to be here. I remember somebody telling me someone uh, recently, not too long ago, they're like, you're so good at doing human things. And I thought, what the hell does that mean? You know, like, uh, that's probably because I'm a human. I know. (laughs) I've been living in this body for a while now. Kind of (laughs) natural. I'd be screwed if I couldn't do the human thing, you know, and there are lots of human things. I loathe. lots of human things. I loathe, and I don't want to do them, but I don't know. It was just such an odd statement. And I realized, of course, that the person that was sharing that or said that to me was 
someone who feels constantly attacked being a human and, uh, you know, spiritually attacked and otherwise. And so there's this massive dissociation from what it feels like to be human and then to be spiritual and trying to live in a spiritual realm and completely disconnect from the human part of themselves, but you have a human body. Mm-hmm. So like, how does that work exactly? Because yeah. like your body still needs to eat food and you have to breathe air. Right. And, you're and even if we didn't have like an actual job, yeah, you know, and we lived in an egalitarian community, like so many people want to live in, we would still have jobs. We would yeah. still have to work. We would still have to, you know, wash our dishes and do our laundry, wash our clothes, till the ground, mm-hmm. cultivate our food and then you know still do our personal inner work too cultivate embodiment with ourselves and relationship with god and that's the thing is like in indigenous culture that was spiritual Mm -hmm. all of the work that we did was spiritual we we danced to prepare uh for our ceremony but so much work went into preparing the arbors and our ceremonial grounds for ceremony you know there's so much uh, work went into preparing our food for ceremony um, or even everyday life. And yet still, it was a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying like our everyday lives should be spiritual. But somehow we have separated our human life from our spirituality and it's not supposed to be that way. No, mm-hmm. and, it's, and you know what? The thing is, is that it's connected to the things we've been talking about, like trauma. Mm-hmm. It's connected to those kinds of things because we have uh, learned to be safe in our dissociation or right. our, you know, mm-hmm. pulling ourselves apart. And so then we go to the part that feels the safest to us. Now, what's so interesting to me about that is that people will go seek spirituality to find safety, but they have major freaking issues with God. Right. And I'm like, this does not compute. You know what I mean? So it's, it's still traumatizing because it's not healed. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual aspect of us can't even be fully plugged in and online until we deal with these things that we've had happen in our past and the trauma and the stories and all the stuff and begin to heal our bodies and make our bodies a safe place for us to dwell again, because that's where God exists. Right. So the human experience is spiritual. It is. There is nothing more spiritual than being human. Right. Because right now, anyway, right, (laughs) right here where we are, being human is one of the most spiritual things we could do. Because you're just being who you are. And it is the antidote to the antidote to everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I want to say this too, because Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and you're just like, Jody, you have no idea. Like my life is so dull or I'm so like just trying to cope because I have this going on in my life and that going on in my life. Listen, I'm not saying that your life right now is set up for you to experience the true miracle of God in your life. You might be going through hell. I lived in a relationship for more than 20 years or yeah, a little more where I was numb the majority of the time, just trying to get by every single day. And I found moments where I could connect with God. And those moments were my saving grace. It held me through something that I did not know how I was going to survive. So if you're hearing all this and you're just like, I have no idea how to bring God into the space, or I'm dealing with so much, I'm so overwhelmed. I just want you to understand that all of us have dealt with some kind of trauma. We've dealt with something that has been difficult, challenging that we've had to overcome. I'm not here to minimize anyone's experience at all. But what I am saying is that 
the journey back to knowing myself at deeper layers and knowing God in truth happened when I was willing to look at the places I had been afraid to look for so long and start healing those places and letting myself feel feelings that I had tried to numb for so long. Um, and there are things that still come up. There are things that still happen, uh, on a daily basis in my healing journey that I'm like, Oh man, if I go down this road, I don't know if I'll come out of it. I don't know if I'll be able to breathe. I don't know, you know, and it's like, my commitment is stronger to wanting to know God and myself at deep levels than my fear of healing my trauma. So it's, it's a journey, you know, mm-hmm. this doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to wake up in the morning and go, okay, I've just decided everything's going to be miraculous from now on. Everything's a miracle. Everything's a miracle. Like, no, that's not <laughs> what we're talking about. We're talking about healing. Yeah. I mean, if you would have asked me, I don't know, 10 years ago, even. Yeah. I would have told you, no, absolutely not. What are you doing with my feet? <laughs> I, I would not have been able to sit here in a space and say anything about embodiment because I wasn't embodied. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been able to have any sort of wisdom around it because I didn't know what it, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. And I wouldn't be able to say that the human experience was anything more than miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Oh, so out of my body, I would have trying to fucking tell you what it is and then kept talking and talking and talking and talking <laughs> and not even know where I was going with it and just not even come to a conclusion or have a point and everybody would know. And well, one thing I've been thinking about is the use, totally of, the use of the word embody because I know that things that have been said in the past have been like so-and-so is like embodied in this or they've embodied that or whatever and I think what we've been saying is they've had an experience of this, and so they know it. Mm-hmm. But experience does not embodiment make. <laughs> you know, I mean, not based on what we're talking about right, right. now. Right. Um, what we're talking about right now is the next level mm-hmm. of whatever we've called embodiment in the past. You know, because I have lots of experiences. I can talk to people about all kinds of different things because of experiences I've had, and I'm sure many people that listen to this can say the same thing. All of us can. You know. I think what you're talking about is when people would say they have embodied wisdom around something because they've already like passed through that specific initiation, mm-hmm. but, but embodied wisdom does not equate actual embodiment. Correct. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, I think we're even having to like re-examine all of that. Right. And, you know, embodied wisdom is just, they know how to respond in this situation because they've walked through it, which is excellent for, you know, guiding people for sure. Like it's very helpful, but embodiment is what you were saying earlier, Danica. It's like literally being right here right now and bringing presence Mm -hmm. to your life. Mm -hmm. It's bringing presence to the space. And like walking in the transformation that you went through. Mm -hmm. It's not just going through the digestion process of everything and then learning a lesson from it. It's like consciously choosing to live differently with intention, with presence, yeah, and everything that you do, which makes it practical. Yeah. What are some words that y'all think of whenever you think of like how people talk about like what's miraculous and mysterious and like spiritual? We talked we talked about this a little bit the other night. Instant. Like, you talk anything instant? Oh yeah. Instant is one that I have I'm still journeying with 
because there are parts of my anatomy that don't operate under the laws of time. And I know that, and it frustrates me sometimes, but I also have to be reverent for the parts of me that do operate within those laws and understand that I can't bypass Mm -hmm. those things. And I have seen, I have seen, uh, instant transformation and miraculous shift, like things transform before my very eyes or in the blink of an eye, Mm -hmm. things that seemed totally impossible. The, uh, woo woo sort of like, what's a good word for it? Something that you'll like never achieve. Like you chase it and chase it and chase it. Elusive. Mm -hmm. It's like this elusive mystified ability to be able to instantly manifest things or instantly cure diseases or instantly transcend. Mm -hmm. And I think that that for me has been something that's like this overbearing you're not doing it right if it's not this, or right. it's not magic, or it's, or it's not a miracle if it's not this right here. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about words, uh, and that's a good, that's a really good example of that, because I think that gets people hung up all the time. I was thinking about um, spiritual terminology that gets used a lot, that I think hangs people up because they use it in a certain way and they think that it means something like really mysterious. Ascension. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. I mean, I feel like so many people talk about ascension. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. <laughs> they talk about yeah, understanding. Overstanding. People, people are making up work. Actually. But but then, then, then it went from ascension to incension. Right. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like no, I'm no one. Are we are we arguing over linguistics and actually going through a dissension? (laughs) Yeah, I think about the word um, initiation. I think that is like one of those words that gets thrown around, and people are like, "I'm just going through an initiation right now," and I'm like, and maybe they are. But I also think that there's a lot of mystery around that word when actually it's very freaking practical. And I like to talk about initiation from this standpoint because initiation is just the moment you realize you're in a looping pattern. Mm -hmm. It's a choice point. And it is, you take that moment to make a conscious choice to break the loop. I know they make it seem like (laughs) initiation is the 10 year old boy who gets a spear and a, yeah. Uh, a tiny little satchel full of peanuts and he has to go kill some wild <laughs> yeah. boar or like some sort of lion or yeah. something in the middle of... Come back here. Yeah, you're a man. Sometimes... Sometimes those simple choice points can feel like you're facing a lion or facing a bear because totally. you're going to make a choice that you've never made before and you don't know what lies beyond that choice because you've become accustomed to the loop so it can feel that big but you're right it's not like the practical here's a spear and come back to us after you've journeyed with Mm -hmm. this thing yeah no um this is a good topic yeah (laughs) the initiation topic yeah because i hear people say that word a lot and i think that it becomes like i said so mystified and it's like no, it's, it's not all the things you think it is it's literally just those conscious moments where you choose something else and you you do it from a place of awareness and mm-hmm. not from fear, not from trauma. 
any of that stuff. And the initiation part of it that I think people refer to is the part that is difficult to break out of the loop. The yes. part that brings up all of this uh, discord in your body because you're repatterning yourself. Yeah. And that's what people, they're like, I'm just going through an initiation right now. But it's like, and yes, maybe they are. Maybe sometimes they're actually still looping mm-hmm. and they're not coming mm-hmm. uh, out of the loop, which means that they're, I don't know. Some people will call it failing the initiation. <laughs> <laughs> you're failing your initiations right now. But, but like yeah, you're right. You're, and I'm thinking about it this way and it really is like the part that people say that is the initiatory experience is the repatterning of the self once you start to become aware of the loop and trying to break out of it and all of the discord that arises in the nervous system and the body and the mind and the emotions when you're trying to actually consciously repattern yourself. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes people can go through just learning how to set a boundary in their own life to begin to heal their nervous system and setting that boundary is the initiation. Exactly. Right? You know? That's what I was about to say. It's like, I remember whenever the whole mask fiasco, did I cut you off? No, oh. no. Yeah, I remember the whole mask fiasco and I felt like it was such an initiation for me and my personal stance to speak from a place of where I was coming from or what I believed or either walk out of a store or have a conversation whenever everything inside of me was trying to pull me out of my body and it was like some of the most intense initiatory process I've ever been in. But some even more intense initiations and that have been coloring a picture with crayons, like with my non-dominant hand and not judging myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was just as hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's just moments of speaking whenever we've stayed silent in the past. And sometimes it's being silent whenever we've just spoken impulsively in the past. Like it's all these different mm-hmm. things, but yeah. it's very simple. It's very practical. It doesn't have to be like we're, Daniel in the lion's den, every time we are facing something, we're calling an initiation. Initiation is meant to take us into the next level Mm -hmm. of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We call it the coming of age. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about manufactured initiations? Uh, sure. Bring it up. Bring it to the table. So something that I have seen happen in this community is where a practitioner will create a scenario or dump something on someone in a session. And then as that person begins to spiral out because either they cannot hold this information or it has activated some sort of wound or something in them, the practitioner will be like, well, that's just their initiation to walk through. Oh, oh yeah, I got what you're saying. Oh man, yeah, I, I, exactly. I think this is we've talked about it too in this podcast is giving <laughs> disclaimers for all the work that we do because a lot of the times what people think they're asking for is actually going to require something that, <laughs> like we say, may hit a little closer to home mm-hmm. for them to actually change, like right. whatever's going on. Say you right. want more security or more safety or more abundance or you know you want your union or whatever it is. It's like. Okay, do you understand that when, as you're asking for this and inviting God to come in and help you make this change, mm-hmm. there will be initiations as a part of that, which will mean you will make decisions that you've never made before, or 
you won't be able to rely on the same support structures. Right. You'll support be given structures. the opportunity to make different choices. But also, yeah, what, what you were saying is like whenever people drop information in a space and then they take their hands off of a situation and they're like unaccountable for having that impact or like yeah. giving that information and putting that on somebody. And saying that's theirs to walk through. That's well, theirs, if it's theirs to walk to through. That, let God do it. Yeah, and it's like, why did you even bring it up then? Right. Right. If it's, it's theirs to walk through. And that right there, that feels so dangerous to me because, first of all, it may not even, I mean, if you feel so compelled to bring something up that could damage someone, it probably is not of God. Right. right? And then the other mm. thing is that, um, Uh, the other thing has left my mind. <laughs> like, could you give an example? Like, Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> it's God is the initiator. Yeah. So it's like, why, why as a, as a space holder or a practitioner or facilitator, whatever you want to call yourself, I understand that things come up in sessions that are going to be difficult that are actual organic initiations because the whole point of a session is to help people make better choices, to help them learn what their patterns are, mm -hmm. to help them move through their traumas, to help them come to that choice point. That is an actual initiation. But when there is something that is so uh, heavy or big or false, even right. in a session where, I don't know, I'm just going to use the identity thing. I'm just going to use the identity mm -hmm. thing as an example because this is perpetuated. It, yeah, it's perpetuated. So if, for instance, in a session, if you were like, well, um, you are Mary, Queen of Scots. You are Mary, Queen of Scots in another timeline. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then this person it starts spiraling out and they're like, Oh my God, it's obviously going to stroke some sort of wound in them. Probably if they, you know, don't have a, uh, grasp on who they are or a, a steady sense totally, of self. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they start, I don't know, making all kinds of wild and wacky decisions because now they think they, they are Mary Queen of Scots. I don't know. Exactly. And, and then the, the, the person who told them that is like, like you said, Bo takes their hands off of it. And they're like, that's their initiation to walk through. Yeah. Okay. So that is what I'm talking about. We are space holders and yes, we can hold people through their initiations, but we don't dole out the initiation. Exactly. It's, and go ahead. Well, I was yeah, just going to say, and I mean, we just, that right there is a manufactured initiation. Yep. Mm -hmm. It ain't, I'm sorry. It's not real. Well, it's not even yeah. an initiation. What it is, is, is it's, it's, Perpetuated it's a, trauma. It's a deception. Yeah. It's yeah. actually, um, it's a false initiation. It's trauma masking as initiation is what it is. That's what it was. It's literally laying shit in people's faces and being like, well, that's theirs to deal with. And then when people spiral out, things have been said like they're failing their initiations. It's like, no, no, that is not an initiation. That literally caused harm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, and when you're talking about how they're failing their initiations, it's because they're not living up to whatever 
this character is or like how they're supposed to act according to this character. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you're not, uh, you're not really acting like, um, King Arthur, so you're failing your initiation. <laughs> yeah, like who in the hell are we to look at people and go, they're failing their initiations? Like, what the hell is that? I think that this is um, what I'm seeing is like a really. And let me talk for a second here, but I'll, I'll try to keep it clear and concise it's because it's bitter. I think it's a. I think it's a symbol. It's an analogy. <laughs> it's a metaphor. What kind of tea do you have? I don't know. It's called joy. It doesn't taste like joy. <laughs> <laughs> tastes like sorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Bitterness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, like what you're talking about, Danica, is manufactured initiations. Anything that's manufactured out of outside of, you know, God's source or according to that blueprint is, is manipulated. It, I was going to say manipulated and manipulative. And I said manipulated. <laughs> It's manipulated, right? And that's the thing is like, this is what happens with deception is it doesn't acknowledge a wound and then it uses the wounding to take advantage of somebody else's vulnerability because of the wound. And so, you know, I, myself, and many, many, many people that I have seen and worked with and witnessed and been in a relationship with have this desire to be... Uh, important or feel special or feel seen in that way. I think it is a basic need that we have to feel seen and not just be seen, but like really feel like we're seen and validated and acknowledged. And there are so many places that that doesn't happen that at the same time as that need not being met, there's this other door opening up as well. Then there's the specialness. So you have all these people who are going unmet with their need to be seen, need to feel mm-hmm. seen. Mm-hmm. And then this other door opening up. Well, if you can make it to this door, you're the one, you're special, you're important. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we talk about with the exclusivity, the clubs and members only thing around mystics. And so what's what's being created that we've witnessed that I think, you know, well, I know you're talking about, Danica, is this guardianship over certain responsibilities or certain pillars of quote-unquote ascension mm-hmm. so it's like there's this group thing that's created around something that's organic at some level but it's almost like you know for example someone going into a session and then hearing you're the king or the queen of the fifth stargate that was built here and it correlates to this place on earth this place on earth so you're holding genetic coding and cosmic memory from this race, this race, yada, yada, yada. It's an entire story. It's an entire breakdown of information that this person (laughs) may not have even been almost prepared to take on or experience or hear. And not even focusing so much on whether the information is accurate or not. It's totally irresponsible and manipulative to drop that sort of information because that's heavily coded information and most of it's manipulated anyway. Most of it's total bullshit at this point because things have been changing on a day-to-day basis. The All of the same architecture, all of these plans, all of these different missions, cosmic uh, cultures and their influence on earth. It's like it's changing day by day by day. So this information becomes outdated like we've heard even recently. Mm-hmm. Things change and 
any one person holding these codes or feeling responsible for holding this great messianic responsibility of like the one. And if you don't do it, then we can't move forward. It's like putting things, and I see this happening with men so much, but also women too. And I, I bring up men because that's been my experience, of course, is like people coming to me and being like, you're supposed to do this thing. And mm -hmm. when in the past I've had that need to be seen or I've had that thing of like, Ooh, I'm important. Somebody gave me a purpose. Something here's my role here. Here's the thing for a man to have purpose is like pretty much all he needs, you know, but, um, it's really hooking people into that thing of like, okay, this is something I can focus on. And if I don't have all the other things in place and I go try to build groups or lead other people into their own healing or through their own initiations or uh, support somebody through it. And I'm like floundering because this entire identity or set of coding or phantom responsibility got placed on me, then I'm going to end up causing all this harm first and foremost. And I'm never, I'm going to literally loop over and over and over and over in my own healing and my own wounding, because I'm going to feel like, why am I not there? Why am I failing my initiation? Why haven't I, you know, been able to heal this certain thing or why hasn't my beloved shown up yet? And it's right. like, this is just an endless spiral that was initiated by somebody who was being irresponsible, acting out of an trauma from an authority that they don't have. Yeah. Can we pull the car over and just sit on the side of the road for a minute? Cause there's something here that I'm like, we've actually had this conversation in the last couple of days and it's around all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was, you know, contemplating as you were saying this was what to me felt like a mission um, in the last year or so since I've been acclimated to this quote-unquote community that it was like a particular person's job to identify every person that belonged to each of the stargates on the planet what they carried what gate it was that this was their mission this and that and it was seriously like whenever I would talk to this person they were telling me well I I know who the gatekeeper of this gate is, and I know the gatekeeper of this gate is, and this gate, and I, I remember telling you, Bo, there was one time when we were talking, I was like, like, how did this become their mission to go identify all of these people, and like, it, it felt like there was this cosmic wrangling right. happening. Well, then it started to change, because then some people who were told that they were the gatekeepers of this and that, oh, that was a fall. You're a fallen gatekeeper. So no, you're no longer a gatekeeper. Somebody else is the mm. gatekeeper of that gate. So then they, like, so then people's know? titles started to get snatched. <laughs> so oh yeah, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Yeah. And this, have you ever heard of sand tray therapy? <laughs> okay. I haven't. Okay. So Jody and I were talking about this the mm -hmm. other day mm -hmm. and this whole thing reminds me of what is called sand tray or sand play therapy. And it's interesting because I was actually reading something from a, um, it was like, a, I can't even remember the website right now, right off the top of my head. I would have to go back and find it. But I was reading um, a, like a board, it was almost like a virtual like bulletin board of events and stuff like that by a board of therapists. And it started talking about like fantasy universe mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. a type of sand tray mm -hmm. therapy. 
And so if you're not familiar with sand tray therapy, sand tray therapy is a type of um, uh, like active therapy that is often used for kids, but it can be used for teens and adults too. But it's where a sandbox is used, like a sand tray with lots of little figurines and toys and, and like houses and plants and people and things like that, where a traumatized child can go in and um, create their own play world. They're encouraged to create a make-believe world that is a, basically a microcosm that they feel safe in, that they can control. Right. And, and then, of course, in the presence of a trained therapist, they would um, kind of interpret it, I guess, and kind of see into the internal world of the client or the child um, and based on the decisions that they made in the sand tray. Yeah or the sandbox and kind of uh, see what's going on internally in the internal world of the client. And this is useful, like I said, for kids who don't really know how to verbalize how they speak or, or how they feel and stuff like that. So, mm. um, but anyway, I, I screenshot something and I'm going to read it. Um, clients choose which toys to incorporate into the tray and arrange them in, in the way that they want. Meanwhile, the therapist mainly serves as an observer, rarely interrupts the client. Those who offer this type of therapy believe clients will create a world that represents their internal struggles or conflicts. After the sand play is complete, the therapist and client typically discuss what was observed, the toys that were chosen, how they were arranged, and any symbolic or metaphorical meanings. Mm. And so this, um, I screenshot this off of verywellmind.com. And it just, <laughs> it's so funny because on the website, that was the virtual bulletin board, on the event that was talking about the fantasy universe as a sand tray. Gosh. <laughs> it was actually talking about like, how do you empower this elven version of yourself and stuff like that? Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it was, it was actually yeah. really bad. I was reading it and I was like, Oh my God. So basically people are, are creating in their minds a version of them that feels more empowered than their human version. And actually, I mean, to me, the whole concept of it actually seems dangerous, even what he's doing, but he's a therapist and I'm not. So, you know, I'm sure maybe in the presence of a therapist that maybe this type of role playing is, is fine. It reminds me of, of LARPing. And I guess if you recognize that it's a game, then it's not harmful. You know what I mean? But so, but <laughs> These people are creating a version of themselves that is like an elven or an orc or something like that, um, or <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're <laughs> they are creating an internal world where they feel more in control and they can control their characters and things like that. It makes them feel safe. And then I started thinking and obviously comparing and contrasting that to what we're seeing in the quantum community where people are. To, this is my own opinion, okay, so I'm going to say that, I'm going to preface with that, it's my own opinion, that when we see people talking about elven versions of themselves and fairy versions of themselves and things like that, I'm not saying these things can't be true, but I think what we're seeing, in my opinion, is role-playing and sand tray therapy without a therapy. Right. present right hmm. i think people are creating versions of themselves that feel more empowered than their human version and right. building out worlds right. that are fantastical 
because it makes them feel safe and more in control. Uh, they can control their own microcosm of this fantasy reality better than they can their actual human life, which means they're disembodied. And like I said, I'm not saying that, you know, elementals and like fairies and elven things, I'm not saying that that's not, you know, true or whatever, but I'm saying that if you're a human, you're probably also not an elf. <laughs> right, because exactly. we can talk about after this ancestral memory. Yes, I was thinking the Shed same some thing. Light because, on a few of these things. because we talked about ancestral memory in another podcast, but it's why this stuff happens. Yeah, and I mean, in, in Muskogee culture, we have stories of little, who we call little medicine helpers. Mm -hmm. um, and they are what we would probably liken to elven beings or even like elemental fairies or something like that. And usually they would come around and leave, um, you know, medicine bags and stuff outside of people's homes whenever they were ill and things like that. I'm not saying they're not real, but I'm saying that if you're a human, you're probably not an elf or a little medicine helper. Yeah. I think such a big part of this conversation is like, let's recognize our humanity <laughs> since the beginning of the conversation, talking about everything in our daily life being a spiritual thing, but mm -hmm. also embodiment is the, the key to our spirituality and it is it the is access key. point. I mean, our body is the Danica, you say this all the time, like the heart being the fulcrum and the body being the container for, our soul, our spirit, it's like the conduit, that lightning rod that really anchors that energetic memory into this experience so it can be projected, manifest, and experienced in this body. And the, the whole point of being in our bodies is to be conscious of what we're creating or what we're participating in or how we're actually accessing our memory or how we're transferring our memory and like this as you're describing the Santre thing it's like uh, <laughs> this makes me think of the webinar <laughs> that we did the mm -hmm. winter solstice webinar last year but also makes me think of a few key individuals in my life that are like yeah I mean I even for myself uh, have experienced things where I don't know, actually, to be honest, I don't know if I ever really got too deep into the identities. Also, because nobody ever came to me and said, this is who you are and this is who you were. And this is what you're here to do in this life. You know, I never actually. Well, I think also, too, you didn't let them. No, we did not. It's true. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess I do remember we <laughs> push back on the yeah. things that came up. We're like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. La, 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 it's la. It's true, because we've, we've seen, you know, from the beginning of our Christed Priesthood course, it was. We would say it in every class, this is an identity conversation. This whole thing is an identity conversation. The only reason that we could ever have a false identity is by being disconnected from our true identity. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever said out loud in our Christ of Priesthood course um, about the fact that I had had to go through a whole journey of my own identity issues. Um, and I wasn't even talking about spiritual identity as much as I was talking about just things that were practical in my life. Yeah. And I remember saying about how I use my given name on my social media. And I had, that was a journey for me to even get comfortable doing that. I know that sounds crazy, but it was, and I had conflict trying to create a spiritual identity for myself. And I thought I was supposed to, and I had to like go through a whole process with that. And that was a class that I remember there were several people in our class that had spiritual identities as their Instagram handles at the time. But I had, I mean, that was my experience and I said it. And I remember walking away from that class being like, 
oh man, I probably really ruffled some feathers. I wasn't trying to, I was really just sharing my own experience, but yeah, I think it is what you said, Danica. There was a lot that Bo and I witnessed and watched and also said, you know what? People have to walk through their own process. They have to walk through their own journey. It's not ours to decide what each person is going to do with this or not do with it. But we were very resistant to anybody trying to lay something over on us about yeah. who we were or what we were. <clears throat> yeah, I shared my experience with that a lot and very plainly. And um, I also just want to, and whether or not we go into a conversation about this, um, you know, we don't have to, but I just want to bring up the implications of this fantasy universe play, the sand tray play. Um, as mm -hmm. creating alternate timelines, like false exactly. timelines, and um, as another version of the false, what people call the false ascension matrix. Right. Exactly, because what I was referring to whenever I said this is making me think of a few key people in my life, I'm talking about a few key people in my life since I started doing spiritual quantum work. Yeah. And there are entire clubs, groups. I mean, that's the thing is like, you mentioned LARPing. If you've ever had a beer, shared a drink with somebody who does LARPing on the weekends, it's not a joke to them. <laughs> it's not a fucking joke. And uh, it's very much a part of, you know, I mean, it, it, and I, I, that's the thing is I'm not hating, I'm not judging, I'm definitely not condemning, but it's like, it's just looking at my experience with these things. It's like, I remember even as a kid just being in a space and it's like, there's no um, compartment between what's real and what's not or what's possible and what's not you know what i mean and like you said dan because like these things are real and that's why we're having experiences of them but making sense of the experience is something that is really each of our own journey to do yes and danica was saying at the beginning of this you mentioned your ruby grail course and you mentioned you know this is what i call now the formerly, formerly <laughs> known as, known as yeah. uh, the Ruby Grail. But what happened in that journey, and we've talked about this just a couple nights ago, was you had a breakdown of identity mm -hmm. is what was really happening. And based on what we're talking about now in these fantasy um, I, you know, worlds that are created, truly around stuff that's probably anchored somewhere in a truth somewhere, mm -hmm. but it's getting all convoluted because of people's trauma and their lack of willingness to actually heal through their processes, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. look at certain things. And um, we even mentioned ancestral memory. Bo, you said this again just Big a few minutes ago. Here. Um, but it is tied to this because we've been talking about this ancestral memory and why it is that people have deep spiritual experiences and walk away from that. And then think about going and creating entire realities after an experience they had mm -hmm. or identifying with a memory that they've tapped into that's planetary or otherwise, and thinking that that memory belongs to them. And then all it does is turn into, I call it cosplay, but it's like, you know, it's like they, it, it turns into that, from a spiritual perspective and they take on whole personas and identities and, um, and then even responsibilities, mm -hmm. false responsibilities yeah. or yeah, duties. Yeah. And I think what you were saying, Bo, um, these things are, are real. And so we do have real experiences of them. Otherwise people would not be 
I mean, I guess in some extreme cases, they, you know, people could maybe make up stuff or something like that. But I feel like people often get pulled into these things because of their spiritual experiences. They feel real. They right. feel real. Yes. And um, and it's not to say that they aren't real. It's right. They are real. Yeah, that's the thing. And um, I feel like I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to. Care to share? Yeah, I think I'm just going to say it. <laughs> What's your experience been like with this specific so, thing? I guess around in 2020, I started having early in 2020, I started having, um, these experiences around Mary Magdalene and they were very organic. And I think that, you know, I, and I, it's not the first time I've had what I, before quantum work would have called a supernatural experience. Um, I've had many supernatural experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I never took them on as like, you know, a part of me or something. It was just something that I experienced. And, and I, and when I started to have these experiences with Mary Magdalene, I feel like most people, most sane people, (laughs) most sane people, I'm just going to say it. Um, they, when they have these types of experiences, they don't think that they are them. You know what I mean? Just like when people go to church, they have experiences with what they think Jesus is. They don't walk out of church thinking they are Jesus Christ. Yeah, naturally you do. But okay, right. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. I never thought I'm Mary Magdalene just because I'm having these experiences with her. I was, I was receiving all kinds of information. Well, in May, I had a session with someone and this person started to describe me in the session. Like I was in this timeline and she was seeing me the way that I am now. And then, and then all of a sudden I was like washing Jesus's feet or something like that. And then she was like, wait a second, he's calling you Mary. And, um, (laughs) she told me that I was Mary Magdalene. (laughs) And here's where it gets sticky because up until that point, I was having experiences of Mary Magdalene, personal experience, personal, very personal experiences with Mary Magdalene. And I never thought I was her, Mm -hmm. but here we're reaching a, like a crossroads Yeah, Yeah. where there's a fork in the road where an artificial, um, I think in a past uh, episode, we were talking about like tributaries off of the organic like mm-hmm. timeline, which is the river, and then these false tributaries that kind of get built off. Mm-hmm. So there was like a false road or a false timeline that was that created a fork in this organic timeline. And um, it was placed here by this person who was like, they took they took a very organic and natural, spiritual experience and almost hijacked it, I guess, and made it go in like a different way. And so after that point, of course I was in, I had just started quantum work, you know? And so I was in a place where I, I was, I was like, well, you know, crazier things have happened. (laughs) Anything is possible. I don't know. I'm I'm just going to sit with it, I guess, and see. And I've shared a little bit about this on my blog, um, where I've talked about how I had an identity laid over onto my, uh, given identity, like my true identity. And, um, so what happened was I started to think, I was like, well, maybe this is why I've been having these experiences. And it started to turn my very 
organic experiences with Mary into something that they were not. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe this is why I'm having these experiences because I'm having like memories or something like that. And all of this is because someone told me, Yeah, someone told me. And, um, it's interesting because what made me think that it was true was because there was no way she could have known that I was having those experiences because I hadn't shared them with anybody. Mm -hmm. So when it came up in the session, I was like, Oh, how did she know that? Seems mm -hmm. totally. How unrelated. did she know that information? Mm -hmm. Now we're understanding a little bit more. Right. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, <laughs> long story short, um, this is the whole, ex this is the whole experience that I had this past year in September where I started peeling off this whole thing because this was part of the whole reason why I even took on a spiritual name. Yeah. Uh, and so this whole thing that got laid over on top of me, um, which, you know, I'm not going to place all of the blame on one person because I had no discernment at that time. And I also could have probably um, done a little bit more to prevent it from, you know, yeah. happening. But well, and, and, and maybe not. I don't know. And just to interject a little bit is like, you and your discernment, it's almost like, how could you have discernment whenever exactly. trusting yourself may have looked like in that moment, believing what you felt like was impossible? Like how often does it happen when yeah. someone's like, well, also I trusted this person too at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I really trusted that person at that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really felt like, you know, and, and maybe at the time also the person that was, facilitating the session, maybe they also didn't know and they misinterpreted it. You know what I mean? I don't think it didn't feel malicious. Mm -hmm. It felt like maybe this person was being used or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, long story short, this whole thing that happened beginning in September of uh, 2021, it was me peeling back this identity that had been laid over onto my consciousness and really coming back into, um, embodiment and fractality as much as I can at the present moment, you know, mm -hmm. um, reducing fractionality, pulling all these pieces that had been pulled out of me back to me. And, um, so yeah, that's my experience. And I know that this is happening a lot more because this particular person who did it to me has said this exact thing to, I don't even know how many other people. So, mm -hmm. um, this is, I mean, even just saying it out loud like this is like quite a humbling experience because yeah, it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. I mean, I know y'all know, but saying it like I know. into a microphone. It's so huge because how mm. many people are walking around in the spiritual community using other identities, believing that they're called to do it, that God has told them to do right. this. And they have all the evidence. They even have the, the feeling in their body of something that happened between them and God. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to say what's true and what's not between them and God because it's between them and God. But what I do know is what we've experienced in this conversation and in this relationship and then in other places with people where things have been shared in those places and then people walk away 
thinking certain things about themselves, trying to live their life now to a standard of whatever they deem important because of that thing. And how does it change their life? Like, how did it change your life moving from that moment into how Danica lived her daily life or how she was going to do the work she did? To be quite honest, it didn't really change that much because I didn't ever like merge with that consciousness. I didn't. And even when, even when this person would come to me and say, you are the muse, you are the great teacher and all this kind of stuff, trying to, you know, talk to me like Mm -hmm. I was, like I was actually married. I'd be like, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. You know, I'm, I'm Dan and whatever that is, is going to have to also be human. (laughs) But there, there were aspects that did change because this person was like, well, if you're married, then that means that your husband has to be Jesus. And so this is, this is where the fracturing began to happen because it made me look at my husband a different way Mm -hmm. because I was like, he doesn't see Mary Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Not saying that he isn't like, you know, a a good person, but we all, I, I don't care who you are. Everyone has heard the story of Jesus. Everyone has some sort of characterization of Jesus in their mind. And I was constantly just watching him and the things that he did. And he, you know, he's a little bit more disembodied than I am because he's not really, he's on his own spiritual path and, you know, he struggles with like his phone usage and multitasking and things like that. (laughs) He has like five different jobs and, um, you know, he could use a little bit more embodiment, but we all can, right? you know, but the problem was, is I would be watching him and I would constantly be asking God, I would be like, are you sure? Are you sure about this? (laughs) And so that was the thing is because I was constantly, I never really believed it because I was so human. My life was so human that I was always like, are you sure? Are you sure about this? Yeah. I don't know about this. Constantly questioning. And here's the thing. Yeah. And that made me not trust myself even more. Right. And based on that, you know, outline and that blueprint of what life is supposed to look like if you're married, which by the way, Bo and I were completely privy to this information the whole time. This wasn't a secret in our relationship with you. We had had that moment of like awareness where that came in. It was like, this is who Danica is, you know, kind of thing. I, it was yeah. a whole thing. It was the whole thing. And, but that's not who Danica is. Yeah, but it was like, it, it, it didn't change how we felt about you or anything. Again, that was our, that was part of our thing of like, okay. Well, you know, everybody's got to go through their process. But also, I didn't tell you that. You didn't. The person who told me I was married told you that. Right, 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 right. And here's what we're seeing. So that was a fucking problem. (laughs) Because I never told anybody any of this information Mm. about, I never, not only did I not tell y'all, I can't think of anyone that I ever told. Yeah. No, you didn't tell us. It, It all came through another way. But here's the thing is that not only was it coloring how you looked at your life, then for us too, in this space, it was also like, well, does that mean same thing you're asking? Does that mean he's this to her? And da 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 da. da. And then questions get asked, like, do you think that that's who he is? And do you think? I told you about this conversation, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's like it's jarring. Well, it's yeah. honestly jarring. Exactly, it gets into. Well, yeah, no, I was going to say. And I don't think your husband's Jesus, so I I think he's a really nice guy. We've only gotten to meet him once, and I think he's hysterical. He tells hilarious stories, by the way. He He loves loves Jesus, but he certainly is not Jesus. Yeah, and y'all have been together for almost two decades, and... Yeah, and I never thought that he was. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. 
anytime this person would bring it up, there was just always a dissonance around the identity. Like I could feel it in my whole body. I was just like, it just, it's fucking LARPing. It's cosplay. <laughs> That's what it is. Cosmic cosplay. Cosmic cosplay. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's a, it's role playing. And the point of dissolution was when one day I asked that question. I was like, are you sure, God, that this is who he is? And a thought came into my head and it was like, maybe you're in like a 20 year alien love fight and he's not the one you're supposed to be with. Naturally, that would come And that right there was when I was like, okay, hold on a minute. That is not mine. I need to examine this right now because we've been together for so long Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we're really good at being in a relationship. Happily married. Happily married. And I was like, I need to examine this right now. And the more that I sat with it, the more it started to unravel. And I was just like, okay, I see what's happening now. Yeah. 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 God, and that, I'm telling you, that experience, like, imagine how many people have gone through that experience. Because I know so many people in the quantum community who either have gone through it or are actively in it Mm -hmm. right now. And it is alarming. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the other reasons why this is happening. Not just the manipulation or people that are harnessing or taking advantage of other people indirectly or intentionally or unintentionally, but I recognize why now, you know, especially after our conversation the other night and the physics behind ancestral memory, right? why I was having these experiences with Mary in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I recognize how um, that experience got thwarted and hijacked. And um, obviously, you know, I was at the beginning of my quantum journey, not to say I was had already been doing healing work for a while, but I certainly was not at a place of embodiment that I am now. Mm -hmm. And a wound got exploited, mm-hmm. you know, whenever mm-hmm. that was brought to me. And it was, it, it wasn't even, uh, I wasn't even aware of the, a wound being the, a wound, <laughs> the wound being exploited. It was naivety mm-hmm. because I was also in a place of, well, this person is my teacher and this person knows more about this work than I do. Mm-hmm. And I trust this person and this could be possible. This could be true. I don't know. Right. So it wasn't like I was like, yes, I'm married. <laughs> give me this identity. Give me the power. I wasn't in that place whenever it happened. I was honestly like in a place of, I don't know. You know, that's where I was. And it was naivety mm-hmm. is what it was. Mm-hmm. So... I, I'm thinking about the conversation that we had the other night about ancestral memory, not uh, just on the podcast, but whenever we were downstairs and you were talking about Danica, what it meant for you to realize why it was important for you to just be Danica whenever it came to 
receiving that information or carrying it or passing it on. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, because the, the message that came through, um, and Jody, you were there. You were the one who actually delivered the message, and we didn't know what it meant that time. She yeah, was like, she was like, Mary is here, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know what this means, but you have to be you so that you can actually hold the information. Yeah. Like, yeah. I need you to, I need you to be you. I need you to be Danica so that you can actually carry this information forward. Yeah. And we didn't know what it meant then. It was just, I was in this whole expansion and process of unraveling and shedding this whole thing, shedding this whole, it wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't, I, it feels weird even saying shedding the identity because it wasn't like I, I, I feel like I'm in a place now where I, I don't even know that I even took the identity on, like in the way that some people take it on. Right. You know what I mean? Like there was a place I, I was, I, I, the best way that I can describe it is like, okay, yeah, if you say that I'm married, then I must be married. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, it wasn't the way that I feel like some people take it on and like live and change their life and cultivate Wrong their life that. around it. And it's like a whole thing like uh theatrical thing yeah you know what i mean i was still like teaching yoga (laughs) you know i was still just a regular yoga teacher Mm -hmm. at a little beach community i had like you know private clients i was very much had like a very normal life and um you know picking up dog poop and you know what i mean like it wasn't fucking magical right and it was just like i mean yeah i guess if you say that I am, then okay, I guess I am. But we didn't know what it meant whenever I had that session with you, Jody, and you yeah. were like, I don't know why, but you just, it's so important that this is happening right now because you just have to be you. Um, because it's almost like this information wants to come through, but it's like you can't hold it if you're holding on to this identity. Mm-hmm. And um, which is good because I, because I was really, really ready to relinquish it. I didn't want it. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't want it. And it was just so much fucking pressure anyway. It was almost like a sigh of relief whenever I was like, realized I didn't have to be holding it. And I was holding it because of the expectation of another person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another person expected me to hold this and fulfill this role. And when I was able to finally like let go of it and be like, I don't want to fucking do it. It was like, oh, okay. I'm allowed to also just not do it and be Danica. And all of this conversation that we had last night around the dinner table, I don't know if you want to go into it, though. I feel like you're a little bit more well-versed. Around the the ancestral memory? In the physics of, like, plasmic memory. Um, Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, um, well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, I think. It's massive. That's like, I mean, just like, oh, my gosh. Well, it needs to be shared. (laughs) Yeah, it's such an incredible story, and we're seeing it more and more and more and more. And Well, and can I just say really quick mm-hmm. before you get into this, I'm so excited to get to have this conversation to bring more clarity and awareness to this community. Because, listen, you're going to be out there. You're going to be out in social media. You're going to be out in these realms seeing people yeah. posting these things under these identities and all this kind of stuff. And now you're going to understand what's actually going right. on. Right. And and before we get into this conversation around the physics of the soul, I do want to say that I share this from uh, 
you know, it's a very humbling experience. Of course, you, both of you know all about it, but to share it like on a public yeah. platform like this is a very humbling experience. And, but I share it because I want those who are going through it to understand you don't have to hold the expectation of another person. You don't have to uh, mold your identity into what another person is expecting you to hold. It's okay to be you and your power is in being you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. And we honor you in your process and we honor this entire process and yeah, the part it's... that each of us has played in it, the part that each of us has contributed to the entirety of coming back into this place of wholeness, back into this place of clarity. It's fucking embarrassing. (laughs) I mean, let's be serious because I, I, I mean, I like to think that I'm a fucking sane person, you know, but it's like when I talk about this, just saying it out loud, it's like, Jesus Christ. Well, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's so weird to even say it out loud because it's like, I don't feel like in those moments I was like, you know, so completely disembodied that I was actually like, you know, so caught up in it. But it's like, even just saying it out loud is that, that I actually entertained it is embarrassing because it's delusional. Well, mm-hmm. it's not. It's natural. It, that's the thing. It's not delusional. It's not delusional to think that it's possible for you to be a reincarnated version of someone from our ancestry on this planet. That's not delusional at all. I think what happens in I a guess delusion. I'm feeling some shame. Yeah, right? no. I think yeah, what happens in a delusion is whenever we do take those things on because of our lack of understanding of what it means, which happens to everybody. Everybody walks through their life and goes, God, I wish I was somebody else. You know, what? I wonder if I was so-and-so in a past life. I wonder if I was this person in a past life because we just want to get the hell away from the trauma that we've experienced. And we don't want to feel like we're not enough. (laughs) And those are just common wounds. Those are common basic wounds. And everybody, I've done it. I can honestly say I've done it. I've been like, God, I wonder if I was this person. Exactly. And then even in some of our session work, like things around like Tiamat and stuff would come up in private stuff that Bo and I would do. And I'd be like, am I supposed to, am I supposed to take that on? Of course, this is after all of this has transpired, not, not the, the mm-hmm. other part, but I, I be- we've even had sessions with people that are like, I've had this thing come up and this thing come up and this thing come up and I know I'm Tiamat. And I'm like, what? You are? I mean, I'm just like, things happen to people. Oh, really? In- you couldn't say that one. <laughs> well, yeah. things happen to people <laughs> in really experiences and they feel so real to them. Yeah. Right. That it's like, it must be true because it feels real. And Danny, you said something about this the other day with regard to the nervous system and the body and how it processes experience. Well, and the felt sensation, the somatic experience can sometimes code itself in the reptilian brain as like the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the same reason why, um, and I think we talked about this in another uh, episode where we were talking about memories why I can say I have this memory of something and I can feel it in my body. And my mom's like, no, that never happened. You must've dreamt it. But whether or not I dreamt it or it really happened, I felt the sensation in my body and I hold the trauma of the thing because it was true, whether it happened in the fucking astral realm 
in a dream or if that happened in my childhood. Right. You know what I mean? It's still coded as a memory through the felt sensation because, and this is the, this is the whole conversation too around how we get traumatized in the astral realm because I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there because we're talking about something else, but maybe we can touch that in another, yeah, another for sure. conversation. Let's take a note. Yeah. So back to ancestral memory and like understanding what that really is and why it's important to us. Like, right. The reason that I say it's natural is because I think, um, well, I also share the same sentiment that, that you said, babe, is like, there have been moments in these conversations I'm around sweating. I've got like drops <laughs> of moisture, like running down my arms to my wrists. <sighs> We're purging here. We're clearing you guys We're clearing. Um, but yeah, in some of these conversations regarding figures like Jesus, regarding figures like King Arthur, these two major figures in history or cosmic history is like, I've been in conversations thinking, is that me? <laughs> and just feeling like, I wonder if it's just like all these people are talking between themselves about like who this is going to be, who it's going to be. And I'm over here on the sidelines just being like, yep. Uh, that's just one of those things and, and like feeling that same identity because having a, a personal experience of Jesus specifically um, and having one of what I thought was King Arthur, but then like uh, kind of feeling more on the wary side of that now, but having a very <laughs> tangible experience of the cosmic essence of Jesus, like what that was to me and how it shifted me and shook my foundation, how it shook my, my perception of myself and the world around me. And that even in all of the depths of the new age teaching, I mean, I was full on new age, full on um, false light and all is love and light and God is everything. And every single thing has this deep purpose and not in the same way we're talking about making everything sacred, but like not able to even recognize evil, not even able to recognize darkness. Even the darkest of things was just for the best of all. And it was just really in this really, um, I was in a lot of deception and I had this experience of Jesus and it rocked me to my core. And it, it was like this deep healing of Christ within me, the, the relationship that I had to even the language saying the name Jesus saying the, the word Christ, mm -hmm. right? Like healing the religious trauma and clearing that completely. Well, not completely, but at a deep level, um, in a single moment, a single experience, and then walking with this figure as a part of like what you described, Danica, is like walking with Mary and receiving from that. And I know, Jody, you have done the same. And for many people listening, you may have experienced something very similar, whether it is with Jesus or any other ancestral figure, ancestral being. It could be a parent that has passed on. It could be a grandparent or a great-grandparent, or even a child, God forbid, that has passed on, or these beings. I was just going to say this is, um, and I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but when I was talking about how I've had many supernatural experiences before Mary, this is, I mean, this is the reason why. Mm -hmm. This is, a, a, I feel like, a natural progression of the way that this memory is passed through time. So we talked about in a couple podcasts ago, timelines and ancestral memory. Mm -hmm. And we talked about culture as being a way that memory, ancestral memory is passed through time and how whenever people or populations are completely 
dissociated or stripped of their culture, mm-hmm. it's actually dis- a disguise for an attack on the memory, right? Because that culture represents memory. And if we're disconnected from our memory, then we don't know who we are anymore. We have no reference point. So this is how we get hijacked. And this is how we get stuck in trauma loops and we can't remember, which is why it's always about remember who you are, remember who you are. And so whenever people have experiences of their ancestors, they can't distinguish between the ancestor and their own memories. So they're receiving cosmic information, uh, memory, right? This is what happens whenever people are seeing timelines in the fields. Mm-hmm. It's like a, co- a quantum healer or even just a, a person who's not practicing the quantum healing aspect. It's like you have a, a dream and um, you have a memory of your own or you have a memory that you feel like it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Anybody listening ever had, well, it's not like you guys are going to raise your hand. I'm going to know. <laughs> but it's like you may know if you've ever had a dream and you were like, I was in my house, but it wasn't my house. Or I was a person, and I'm a blonde-haired person, but in this dream, I was a brown-haired person, but it was me. Uh-huh. It's like these kinds of experiences point to ancestral memory. And so what happens is whenever we have these experiences, I've had one personally with Jesus is one, Sitting Bull is another. Um, there may be some more that I can't remember, but those White two, Buffalo White Buffalo Woman was another one. Uh, but those key ones really shifted my spiritual understanding. It, it was almost like awakening, like deeper awakening, even within like all my new age practices and trying to be mindful, trying to be conscious, make everything sacred. But then these things are the things that came in and rocked my world and showed me something about big picture planetary uh, function or galactic politics all kinds of deep cosmic wisdom, memory, or understanding of my place of purpose here. And there have been times, like I said, that I was like, was this me? The sitting bull thing, it was really clear that it was like, this is an ancestor. Or I, I was very confused why me having this seemingly totally European heritage or like basically your basic white guy um, <laughs> was being approached by somebody that I at the time understood as uh, a a really mainstream indigenous figure who had a lot of impact politically for indigenous people Mm -hmm. during the time of massive genocide and massive Mm -hmm. cultural assimilation and hijacking. And he passed a lot of information to me. And what happens, like Jody said, is the reason you can go on Instagram or, or Facebook or all different kinds of social media or internet sites, or you can go into a certain park on a certain day and people are thinking that they're, I don't know, insert random historical figure here is because they're having experiences with their ancestral memory and they're taking it on as their own identity. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that Danica, you were told, I feel like, uh, I feel like the reason you were told you have to be Danica you can't be Mary right now because Mary was there and and you're Danica now. And this is why Mary was coming to you right. so much was because it was like, there's a big job here for each of us to be in our bodies mm-hmm. and be very present 
with who we are right now because we are a part of that galactic timeline. And every time we get it twisted and take on an identity from the past, we're uprooting a cosmic chain of events that is meant yes. to happen a certain way. And if we are not understanding and owning our core identity as we are right here in our full humanity and the experience that we have, we are bypassing or uprooting, like I said, that cosmic timeline. So the ancestors that are trapped here on this planet have a very specific commission to protect and transfer very specific coding to those who are here to carry it and cultivate it so that it can be safely passed throughout time. This yes. is what makes something eternal. That's what makes someone a true guardian. Yeah. It's the one that's able to be embodied and receive memory and carry it through time and pass it forward. And this is what I've seen in a lot of my session work too, where I was working with indigenous people, indigenous men and women, and being taken into the uh, earth grids where I was finding... Um, indigenous ancestors who were waiting to give them something so that they could pass on. Mm -hmm. And um, there had to be a, it was like they were waiting for a, for a moment of coherence mm -hmm. where it was where they were actually able to pass on the coding to them or the memory yeah. to them. Mm -hmm. And from a, a physics standpoint, we were talking about this the other night is that sometimes even uh it's not even that they're waiting to actually uh pass on ancestral memory but sometimes it is also trauma that mm -hmm. is being assimilated um you know out into the fields because the energy of the plasma body that is not able to go back to source that is not um shareable yes uh it has to remain here until they're until it can become shareable so then it gets passed to other people either in either in their lineage or not or you know um yeah this is a whole this is a whole thing and then then it becomes that person's uh job i guess to make not only their own trauma, but then the trauma from this other person that they've also taken on um, to make it shareable as well. So, yes. so a lot of the trauma that we're holding isn't just an ancestral um, or lineal from our own parents or from our own ancestry, but it can also be um, what we were discussing as nuclear trauma. It's mm -hmm. planetary well. and planetary galactic and cosmic beyond that. I, as y'all are talking, it's just giving me like a whole new perspective on the idea of people working so hard to keep other people's memory alive. It's like, mm -hmm. whoa, that mm. just brings all new information to that process because I think about people even close to me who've lost loved ones and they literally are incapable of moving past that death. And do everything they can to constantly point their life back to that moment of that person being alive. 
in an effort to quote unquote, keep their memory alive. Right. And, and so it's like they have been assigned a particle or a piece of that person's of quantum. Yeah. <laughs> that person's essence that is, has not been shareable, able to mm -hmm. return to source and was fractured and it's dispersed and then people take it on mm -hmm. and it's looking for a way to embed itself in the, <laughs> the soul or the plasma of that person potentially to remain available so that it can be carried mm -hmm. until it can be returned to source. Exactly. That, Whoa. That's what we were talking about too with grief wow. as like when my, my friend, well, that's the thing is we weren't even that close, but I learned so much from this. And then given the physics perspective, which there are some terms that I don't fully understand, but there's a, a general grasp of the physics of this plasmic intelligence and like the wave mechanics of how these things are shared or not shared, vice versa, what makes something um, coherent and fractal versus <laughs> radioactive uh, or producing radiation. The fra yeah, fractionated, that's a good word. But there was an experience that I had where I had somebody who was close to me, but we weren't that close. So he was close in proximity and I spent a lot of time around him. He overdosed, or no, he, he died. Um, but whenever he died, I didn't expect to be rocked by his passing the way that I was. And I understood what I saw was a vision of part of him leaving the planet, like this sole aspect of him leaving the planet. And then all of the um, information, all of the wave mechanics that weren't actually able to pass through certain things, frequency fences or whatever that's surrounding the planet, it got dispensed throughout the rest of the planet and solely to people who were either close to him, who loved him the most, people that could take on whatever he wasn't able to alchemize or take through that death experience. Those parts of him that he wasn't able to like integrate or heal. Right. Yeah. And so what that in physics terms would be called um, shareable. So if you are experiencing things that cannot be shared, uh, in other words, if you're not in your unconditional love state or you're holding anger or fear at the moment of death, then all of that emotion is not shareable. So what it does is it remains in the same array, basically the same density, mm -hmm. and it gets dispersed. Because, but, it, because it's not alchemized? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it can't be shared in the next array or the next density. So all of that pain and all of that trauma, which is why they call Earth a prison planet, is because there's so much trauma here that's being uh, that's not being alchemized. Right. People are dying, but they're not taking their memory through death. So the memory is remaining. And that's why you have ghosts. That's why you have all kinds of radiation here. This is what people are calling like soul recycling. Right. Yes. This yes. is reincarnation. Is all of Goodness. the unshareable memory that gets dispensed back onto the planet. So that's the process of grief is in those tears that I was shedding because it was hours and hours and people who have lost somebody close to them, it can take years, decades to grieve, to fully get to a place where you're not holding this person anymore. It's like there was a, a process of, in those tears, I was crying and crying. And I didn't understand why I was crying so much about his passing. And it was sad. It was very sad. The circumstances surrounding his passing 
of course, and I didn't expect it because I didn't feel very close to him. But I was understanding something about the grief. And the first thing that I learned from that was that people's purpose in our lives can be served even more so after they're gone. And that was a big one that I learned and I was carried carry through and people who are dealing with grief, I always share that just like, you know, and I see that happen over and over and over. People have a loved one who has who's passed. Uh, it's like too late for them or whatever, but they don't realize they're still in communication or still in connection with that person. It's like their purpose is still being served long after you think that they've gone from the planet or gone from your life. That was the first thing. But even recently realizing that that grieving process was me taking on the unshareable plasma and alchemizing it to make it shareable. Mm -hmm. So carrying it, whether it is keeping the memory alive, whether it is holding the ancestral memory until our death to where it is shareable in that moment or processing it through the, what we call grief, which I've always called grateful relief. Like at the core of grief is always like this deep sadness, but it's like, you're grateful for it for some reason. And, um, I, I never really understood that. And some people may be like, that doesn't sound like grief to me, but <laughs> that was like, you know, I my, think some types of grief. I can recognize that. Yeah. I think like trying to see God and things always made it like, yeah, I lost that thing, but I'm also grateful that I had it. And I'm grateful for what I have now. And, but it was like processing the alchemization process of whether it's tears or whether it's processing the emotion that they couldn't process or take with them whether it's anger, whether it's fear, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, whatever's unshareable. Our journey is to make it shareable again. And we have to be in our bodies and we have to have aura and soul to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think you said nuclear trauma mm -hmm. is because we've called trauma anything that separates us from ourselves or anything that separates us from God. Mm -hmm. So I learned that in inner child work and somebody told me like, you know, the way to identify trauma, a way to look at it is like, as a child, you basically start as a loaf of, I'm putting this is my words right now. You start as a loaf of bread and every trauma you experience, it like breaks off a breadcrumb, a piece of the, sometimes a whole slice, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And it's like that bread doesn't ever just go away, but it's like, eventually you have to come back into the whole loaf. So healing trauma is like going, finding the breadcrumbs, finding the slices sometimes, Sometimes an even bigger piece of bread and piecing the loaf back together. So understanding trauma is anything that breaks us apart from ourselves. And then in a physics perspective, somebody already knows it. The opposite of fusion, which is bringing things back into one, making two one is fission. So right. a fissure is a, a crack or a break or a split separation. Mm -hmm. Fission reaction is something that a lot of the quote unquote free energy or sustainable energy is, is uh, created by on this planet, splitting Newtonium atoms. Mm -hmm. And the, even since like the forties at the beginning of some of human beings having their first nuclear technology, this is whenever ETs started coming to the planet and interfering, interfering. Why did they want to interfere with humans and their politics? Once we got nukes, well, Nuclear fission emits radiation. Radiation is a nasty, nasty byproduct. So the reaction doesn't just destroy matter, it also completely disrupts the plasmic field and the wave mechanics that govern our ability to access ancestral memory. Ancestral right. memory exists in the plasmic intelligence and those wave mechanics and 
what some physicists call longitudinal inferometry. I think that that's what it is. And that same thing is also called long-term memory. So long-term memory isn't just, I remember my childhood. It is, I remember my ancestral memory. Mm -hmm. And this is where we have people on this planet thinking that they're actually supposed to be in a different star system. This is where star seeds come from. Yeah. Because it's not that people are necessarily on this planet because they're stuck here. It's that they've had an experience with their ancestors and they can't distinguish the difference between their identity now and the ancestral memory that's being passed from another star system to be alchemized yeah. here. So it might not even actually be their ancestors though, because this is how we posed it last night at the, at the table was, I was like, well, what happens if, you know, the destruction on this planet gets so intense that, um, you know, we actually like, I don't know, the planet explodes or something like that. And every human who's on the planet is eviscerated. And what happens to the parts of us that have not been alchemized that would get transferred to another civilization in another exactly. star system, um, because it, it would have to remain in the same array and the same density. It would mm -hmm. be transferred, um, to another civilization and it would be dispersed among the people in that civilization of this other star system. And then they would begin to inhabit our plasma intelligence and they would take it on and try to alchemize it. Mm -hmm. And that is not lineal, not ancestral trauma, but that is nuclear or galactic trauma. Right. And this is what people are thinking that star seeds are. Cosmic and ancestry. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the same story. If, if any, if anyone un, like has heard the story of like the human race being seeded from, uh, the Lyra Vega system. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's kind of the first thing that I started to hear about, but it, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know if, if it's really the conversation. I think the focus here in, in what we're saying is like for anyone to even consider that would have to be a memory from that galactic fallout, which does add up to many, many origin stories throughout different indigenous societies and, and, and cultures. Right. But for example, in that specific circumstance, a Tiamat is another one. You mentioned it. Right. Tiamat is another one. So right. for anyone to be like, I'm Lyran or I'm Syrian or I'm Pleiadian, I'm Arcturian, I'm Andromedan, yada, 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 I'm Draconian. It's like, first of all, understand that we all have DNA from pretty much all of these different species because Earth is the melting pot of galactic race mm -hmm. and culture. But mm -hmm. it's also like a landing zone for a lot of these traumas. Like what Danica just said is like these systems through the Orion Wars and through even bigger galactic conflicts, places where entire solar systems or galaxies even have been completely disrupted by nuclear fallout. Nuclear is the fission, is the splitting, is the trauma, is right. the separation. Right. And that creates radiation. So anything that exists in the space of radiation cannot access long wave intelligence. So it cannot access its ancestors. So that's why the beings that are on this planet now come from systems that have been completely destroyed in their atmosphere that have been completely ravaged in their DNA. And 
they've bound themselves to cyborg and mechanical technology to create a complete inability to access this ancestral memory. So to come to a place where they can tap into the grids here, they can hijack the entire planet and its resources, not just material resources, but memory and soul resource. This is why we talked about these beings being so desperate. It's not that they're trying to enslave a population. They're trying to remember their ancestors because they've been completely cut off from the ultimate ancestor, which gives them their ability to live eternally. When we're connected to God, we can take memory through death. We, we are able to alchemize certain things, and this is what resurrection is. This is the life after death. This is the life in death. I think it's important also to say that this is why disembodiment is uh, radioactive. Mm -hmm. This is why whenever we're disembodied or <clears throat> we have these pieces of our plasmic intelligence floating outside of our body, we are, uh, it, I mean, it is, it's radioactivity and even even things like bananas and things like that have been measured to uh, emit certain uh, degree of radioactivity. But this is why um, mm. embodiment is so important. It's such an important conversation because that brings us back into fractality. It brings us back into the cosmic ecosystem of being within the habitable array of being able to connect with God and our ancestral uh memory and this is this is the reason why i was having those experiences with mary yeah this is why you had the you both had the experiences with white buffalo calf woman and sitting mm -hmm. bull this is why <laughs> in some of my previous sessions i had seen things where these you know i, I recognize that I perhaps and in some cases have misinterpreted my sessions in the past mm -hmm. where these beings had come in and were connecting with um, you know the, the clients in the session because they were trying to share things with them or give them information yes this um, is why millions and millions and millions of people across the planet have an experience of Jesus while they're following Christian religion. And because of the structure and dogma that's been created in Christianity, they're not able to see past their experience with Jesus into the ancestry beyond him. Right. And, and it's not even just in Christianity because people go on spiritual pilgrimages. They go all over the world and have, massive encounters with beings like Jesus and other beings mm -hmm. of history. And then the Buddha. this is how major religions Osiris. get started. These major religions literally get started because they have encounters and then they decide I must be the one that's supposed to bring this information forward. I'm the chosen one. Let me build, let me build a shrine to this information here. And then next thing you know, you've got a whole new cult that's ready to, you know, enslave people in their minds and it keeps people again out of their bodies. So people are walking around, not only misunderstanding everything that you just talked about and what it means to them to have these experiences. So they can't even truly activate the power 
of the experience. They mm. miss the whole opportunity of the power of the experience because all they can do is soak up the feeling of it and be like, whoa, that felt amazing. So they can't even get the goods from the experience, mm -hmm. which is the memory that needs to be mm -hmm. passed on that has the really good stuff in there, mm -hmm. you know? And then beyond that, it's like out of your body, I think we talked about this, especially like Bo, you bring that up about the star seed thing. It's like people walking around believing they're a star seed even just considering that what they have experienced is a bump into some kind of memory or piece of some galactic being that's been disseminated through the cosmos and has found its way into this system and they're bumping into it and thinking it's theirs. Mm -hmm. Because we've got people, I mean, I've, I've watched people on social media and stuff be like, everyone who's an indigo, indigo this, indigo children. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, is that really what that is? Or is that a group of people that have made contact with aspects of these mm -hmm. other beings? Well, it's interesting because the person, the person who told me I was Mary, she had also told me, she's like, oh, you're such a multifaceted star seed. You, you know, you have a, a, a Lyran version, a Syrian version, a Spican version, Arcturian version of yourself. But really what it is, is it is these aspects of these other star systems that are moving along in the same density to try to find co a coherent space where they can be alchemized to get back to source. Right. They have a lot to impart. So it's important for everybody to be in your body right. and well, be filling your name here. Be that person. Yeah, but not only do, I mean, and I do think that there is much to be imparted, but more than anything, you have to understand that if those pieces of them are so fractured, they could not go back to source at the right. moment that they were disembodied. Then the piece that they bring to you is likely going to be traumatized mm -hmm. and tainted. Not likely, it's definitely going <laughs> yeah. to be because it's fractionated. And right. so then you trying to assimilate that um, into any kind of like true stream of information or, you know. We have to be able to heal our own wounds and be in our bodies and know who we are before we can even begin to alchemize these other aspects that are trying to find coherence in us. Oh my God. This is what people I think are doing when they think that they're channeling. Yeah. Maybe they're touching these essences and these pieces are trying to communicate. Well, and it could also be an imposter parasitic uh, entity that is, you know, trying to manipulate them as well. But I think most of the time, this is what we're seeing and people don't understand it because most people are not versed in physics. I think this is another thing that, gets people feeling like this is me, like the, taking on the identity. Because when we take on the identity, we can't let go of the trauma or we can't actually alchemize it. We can never let it go because it's an identity. So it's almost like um, there's something else that happens that I'm realizing that oh in this ancestral memory, in the same sense of how ancestral trauma is passed through genetic lines, we recreate the same family dynamics and dysfunction and trauma and abuse cycles that have been going on for generations. I think that's another place where people get looped into these things is whenever they take on or have an experience of ancestral memory that's containing trauma, ancestral trauma, nuclear fallout, um, whatever it is, and it lines up 
perfectly with their incarnation. That was a big part of things they whenever we met and we started like having experiences of like this is like the past life thing and i think that there's a lot to break down here around past lives too but the ancestral memory that we were receiving that felt so closely uh parallel to the life that we have lived mm -hmm. now like i remember have i had memories after we met of things happening in the exact same way that this incarnation fleshed them out to happen. So it was like, I took it on as, well, that must have been a lifetime. And I'm here in this life to alchemize or repair or clear that karma. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, I have a memory, I see a, a trauma or I see a, a past life timeline or something like that. And it's like, damn, I had that same wound. It happened in a past life and it happened in this life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's another thing. That's like another anchor point of like, yeah, it must have been me, mm -hmm. but not realizing that that's an ancestral memory. And I experienced that because it was in my DNA. Mm -hmm. Right. But you experienced that because that aspect of that ancestral memory found coherence in your specific wound and was able to actually. Right come into your field, then you have, then you experience that aspect of the memory. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense because if, you know, what, what we have said previously about entities feeding on our wounds because their frequency matches the resonance of the frequency of our wound, then why wouldn't ancestral memory also find coherence huh. in our wounds? Because if we're, in the process of alchemizing a certain frequency of wound, there's a better chance that we would also alchemize that part of ancestral memory that is trying to consciously become shareable because we're already going to have to heal that in ourselves. So then there's coherence there. Yeah, but this changes this changes the conversation and the perspective around these higher beings right. coming and wanting to impart information to people, not that they can't, right. but when we're talking about finding coherence, you know what I'm saying? Like they're having to find a place in where there can be coherence. And so, yes, sometimes there are moments of like bliss and like you're in there and you're mm -hmm. receiving really clear God stuff. But then there are other beings that are considered, you know, important figures of history right. and important higher selves. And they're coming in and saying all kinds of things. And so it could very well be, like you said, Danica, they're just resonating with wounds and trauma that is similar and <laughs> finding a place to settle in and be like, and let me impart all this information to you. I need to dump this here, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think that's the difference between actual like nuclear trauma a parasitic entity and then what we were talking about earlier like ancestors who were i don't know mostly shareable but then had aspects of themselves that mm -hmm. they had to transfer before they could actually <clears throat> pass on to source i think this is the second coming of christ too like this is the physics behind that concept like the second coming of christ whenever the world moves into this space of what has been called Christ consciousness, or uh, of course they look to the figure that they have labeled as right. the Christ embodiment. Right. But this guy, 
this character is a part of an ancestral lineage. He's a part of a cosmic lineage as well. Those bloodlines, as we've seen in the work that Danica does, and you know, you're probably better off or, or better person to share about this if there is more to share, but those bloodlines are, we can all trace back. Like we can all trace our own ancestry back to certain specific moments, or even of course, <laughs> not talking about Adam and Eve story as it is in the Bible, but metaphorically speaking in that same way is like the heritage is there. We're all sharing it. We're all sharing the ancestral memory yeah. and our ability to receive and transmute that or pass it on is directly determined on our ability to carry soul, mm -hmm. our ability to, to cultivate and carry plasmic intelligence within ourselves. Yeah. So, and I feel like, I, I feel like, like what you just said, the, the soul and the plasmic intelligence, like we, we definitely need to flesh that out in another episode because it's worth having that conversation yeah. too. So people understand this is, uh, oh yeah, you can't lean on that. Um, <laughs> this is making me think about, this is just making me think about all kinds of stuff that's happening on the world stage right now, especially around like race and mm -hmm. things like that. When we're talking about ancestral memory and how we all share ancestral memory. And if you go back far enough, we're all related. Right. And the biggest thing to, to walk away from this conversation, I think of one of the biggest things is to understand that ancestral memory is looking for a coherent space mm -hmm. to land, period. So right. it doesn't have anything to do with what we have talked about ancestral lines looking like in terms right. of like our right. specific ancestry uh -huh. based on our blood and our last right. name. It's literally just looking for a place but to land. But here's the thing that I'm saying is that we all do share ancestry. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, like I share ancestry with y'all. Mm -hmm. It may not you know, be in my most immediate family tree. But if you go back far enough, we all share ancestry. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. And even genealogists today state that if someone was alive 2000 years ago, they're either an ancestor of literally everyone alive right now or literally no one. Mm. Um, if you have European ancestry right now, you can be traced back to Charlemagne. Yeah. Everyone. If they, if you have yeah. anyone alive right now, if you have European ancestry, you are traced back to Charlemagne. This also breaks down the whole um, potential for any one person to be holding specific responsibility mm -hmm. regarding guardianship over gates, stargates, planetary structures, specific mission processes, because that information being passed is directly dependent on our ability to hold it. Our ability so, to become shareable. Exactly. So if somebody, like we've said, is failing their initiation, <laughs> all hope is lost. Because, no. But that's bullshit. Right. Because depending on, I mean, this is kind of like whenever we were driving in Santa Fe and that mountain was like, boom, spoke to me tangibly. And it was like, we know who we are. And it just, I, I was driving, but it like grabbed me in this way. It was like, we know who we are. We're waiting for a mirror. It was very clear. It was like the Christ consciousness is ready to emerge and return, yada, yada, yada. It was this whole thing. But it hit me because I was like, it was, I almost felt like chosen in that way. But it was like, there are many who are capable of being a safe place 
for this memory to be transferred. Yes. Just the same way. It, it's not always that your ancestors are going to show up and be like, let me give you my trauma because I can't hold it anymore. It's not like that. Sometimes that goes on, but we access that through our own process. And we don't have to take on our ancestors' process just to be able to make shit happen. It's like that happens while we're in our own alchemy. But whenever we, just like healing the wounded inner child, just like creating safety within ourselves, whenever we're doing that, it's recognized and we're able to be a space for this cosmic memory, this cosmic intelligence, not cosmic identity. No. Cosmic memory, ancestral memory, memory and connection to anchor and move through. And it's not always that it anchors in and just settles. It's that it moves through. We are the conduit for the plasma intelligence. We are conduits for God on this planet. And what we're doing at a day on a day to day basis, things that we talked, started this conversation out with help us cultivate our ability to really make ourselves available for that. Mm -hmm. And I think too, um, you know, this is why I, I did have I did have an experience with Mary, but I'm not special because of it. There are many who have had experiences mm-hmm. with Mary, and depending on what she was imparting to all of us depends on our level of embodiment and what we can hold that she's trying to pass on to us. Right. right. And what I am coherent for, mm-hmm. somebody else is going to be coherent for something else that she's trying to give. And so this is something that I've seen in the quantum community is like, so one time, I'm just going to be specific. One time someone said, <clears throat> oh no, I'm having a dark attack right now because I saw online that someone is channeling Joan of Arc and I am the real Joan of Arc. So she must be channeling a an imposter. False. And so here's the thing. <laughs> Joan of Arc, you're both probably having ex- experiences with Joan of Arc because Joan of Arc is trying to impart ancestral memory to literally anyone who's coherent for it. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, no, we're not special. We are healing ourselves and alchemizing ourselves to the ability that we can hold specific information. And to be quite honest, I don't even know what information I'm actually holding that Mary has imparted to me. I don't fucking know. It's probably, and I might not even know. I can say that through my own experience, I have seen things in certain timelines that I felt like um, maybe me witnessing them has helped them alchemize. I don't know, honestly. But, um, and this is, uh, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is we're not fucking special. (laughs) We ain't ain't special. (laughs) No. It's, yeah, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with being available to sacred information that needs to be carried forward, you know, period. And who is, who can say if the information we're sharing right now isn't the very information that needs to come forward that mm-hmm. these ancestral beings have been saying we need to help people better. Well, here's the thing that's coming through right now for me is that the reason why this has to happen is because the ancestral memory is what keeps the planet alive. Yeah. The ancestral memory keeps the planet living. And 
the more that we can heal ourselves to come into coherence where we can actually hold it, we can, whoa, we can make this planet not a prison planet anymore. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Our ability to hold ancestral memory is directly related to how much we experience, quote unquote, radioactive dark attack. Because ancestral memory won't go where radiation is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's how we clear the nuclear karmic. And did you disembody your radioactive? Exactly, because human focus is centripe- centripetal. Yeah. <laughs> centripetal. Centripetal. And that is implosive. That is the opposite mm-hmm. of radioactive. That's the opposite of explosive. So when you are focused... And then it brings in the whole manifestation. I know we're like way over time, but mm-hmm. there's a lot here. And, and this is kind of a core understanding, I feel like, to many things that have been used against people to make them feel lost in the mysticism mm-hmm. of personality, yep. identity, even their own spiritual politics, worship programming, mm-hmm. and keep power out of people's hands because if there's one who holds power then the other cannot and it's like this whole thing that's what mysteries were created for that's why things and information were withheld from people right is to give one power over another so when we're in the dark we're fucking powerless what free will is that right it's like whenever we know what's going on we have all the information right we're empowered we're embodied and we can make a real decision here this is the science of spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we out, y'all.